0: Maybe the world is breaking into two hemispheres, one with cheap energy, the other without. And I want to ask you that. If, if we're now a multipolar world, obviously we are. Can you describe the blocks of alliances? Who, who is in each side, do you think?
1: Listen, you have said that the world is breaking into two hemispheres. A human brain is divided into two hemispheres. One is responsible for one type of activities, the other one is more about creativity and so on. But it is still one and the same head. The world should be a single whole. Security should be shared rather than a meant for the golden billion. That is the only scenario where the world could be stable, sustainable and predictable. Until then... While the head is split in two parts, it is an illness, a serious adverse condition. It is a period of severe disease that the world is going through now. But I think that, thanks to honest journalism, this work is akin to work of the doctors. This could somehow be remedied.
0: Well, let's just give one example, the the U.S. dollar, which has kind of united the world. Uh, in a lot of ways, maybe not to your advantage, but certainly to ours. Is that going away as the reserve currency, the, the the universally accepted currency? How have sanctions, do you think, changed the dollar's place in the world? You know,
1: to use the dollar as a tool of foreign policy struggle is one of the biggest strategic mistakes made by the U.S. political leadership.
2: The
1: dollar is the cornerstone of the United States power. I think everyone understands very well that no matter how many dollars are printed, they are quickly dispersed all over the world. absolutely Inflation in the United States is minimal. It's about 3 or 3.4%, 3. which is, I think, totally acceptable for the U.S. But they won't stop printing. What does the debt of $33 trillion tell us about?
2: It is about the emission.
1: Nevertheless, it is the main weapon used by the United States to preserve its power across the world. As soon as the political leadership decided to use the U.S. dollar as a tool of political struggle, a blow was dealt to this American power. I would not like to use any strong language, but it is a stupid thing to do and a grave mistake. Look at what is going on in the world. Even the United States' allies are now downsizing their dollar reserves. Seeing this, everyone starts looking for ways to protect themselves. But the fact that the United States applies restrictive measures to certain countries, such as placing restrictions on transactions, freezing assets, etc., causes great concern and sends a signal to the whole world. What did we have here? Until 2022, about 80% of Russian foreign trade transactions were made in US dollars and euros. US dollars accounted for approximately 50% of our transactions with third countries, while currently it is down to 13%. It wasn't us who banned the use of the US
2: dollar.
1: We had no such intention. It was decision of the United States to restrict our transactions in U.S. dollars. I think it is complete foolishness from the point of view of the interests of the United States itself and its taxpayers, as it damages the U.S. economy, undermines the power of the United States across the world. By the way, our transactions in Yuan accounted for about
2: 3%.
1: Today, 34% of our transactions are made in rubles, and about as much, a little over 34% in yuan. Why did the United States do this? My only guess is self-conceit. They probably thought it would lead to full collapse, but nothing collapsed. Moreover, other countries, including oil producers, are thinking of and already accepting payments for oil in yuan. Do you even realize what is going on or not? Does anyone in the United States realize this? What are you doing? You are cutting yourself off. All experts say this. Ask any intelligent and thinking person in the United States what the dollar means for the U.S., but, uh, you're killing it with your own hands.
0: I think that's a, fa- I th- I think this is a fair assessment. The question is what comes next, and maybe you trade one colonial power for another much less sentimental and forgiving colonial power. I mean, are, is the, the, the BRICS, for example, in danger of being completely dominated by the Chinese, the Chinese economy uh, in a way that's not good for their sovereignty? Do you worry about that?
2: We have
1: heard those boogeyman stories before. It is a boogeyman story. We're neighbors with China. You cannot choose neighbors just as you cannot choose close relatives. We share a border of thousand kilometers with them. This is number one. Second, we have a centuries long history of coexistence. We're used to it. Third, China's foreign policy philosophy is not aggressive. Its idea is to always look for compromise, and we can see that. The next point is as follows. We are always told the same boogeyman story, and here it goes again. Through an euphemistic form, but it is still the same boogeyman story. The cooperation with China keeps increasing. The pace at which China's cooperation with Europe is growing is higher and greater than that of the growth of Chinese-Russian cooperation. Ask Europeans, aren't they afraid? They might be, I don't know. But they are still trying to access China's market at all costs, especially now that they are facing economic problems. Chinese businesses are also exploring the European market. Do Chinese businesses have small presence in the United States? Yes, the political decisions are such that they are trying to limit their cooperation with China. It is to your own detriment, Mr. Tucker, that you are limiting cooperation with China. You are hurting yourself. It is a delicate matter, and there are no silver bullet solutions, just as it is with the dollar. So, before introducing any illegitimate sanctions, illegitimate in terms of the Charter of the United Nations, one should think very carefully. For decision-makers, this appears to be a problem.
0: So you said a moment ago that the world would be a lot better if it weren't broken into competing alliances, if there was cooperation globally. One of the reasons you don't have that is because the current American administration is dead set against you. Do you think if there were a new administration after Joe Biden that you would be able to reestablish communication with the U.S. government? Or does it not matter who the president is?
2: I will
1: tell you, but let me finish the previous thought. We, together with my colleague and friend, President Xi Jinping, set a goal to reach $200 billion of mutual trade with China this year. We have exceeded this level. According to our figures, our bilateral trade with China totals already $230 billion, And the Chinese statistics says... It is 240 billion dollars. One more important thing, our trade is well-balanced, mutually complementary in high-tech, energy, scientific research and development. It is very balanced. As for BRICS, where Russia took over the presidency this year, the BRICS countries are, by and large, developing very rapidly. Look, if memory serves me right, Back in 1992, the share of the G7 countries in the world economy amounted to 47%, whereas in 2022, it was down to, I think, a little over
2: 30%.
1: The BRICS countries accounted for only 16% in 1992, but now their share is greater than that of the G7. It has nothing to do with the events in Ukraine. This is due to the trends of global development and world economy, as I mentioned just now. And this is inevitable. This will keep happening. It is like the rise of the sun. You cannot prevent the sun from rising. You have to adapt to it. How do the United States adapt? With the help of force, sanctions, pressure, bombings, and use of armed forces. This is about self-conceit. Your political establishment does not understand that the world is changing under objective circumstances. And in order to preserve your level, even if someone aspires, pardon me, to the level of dominance, you have to make the right decisions in a competent and timely manner. Such brutal actions, including with regard to Russia and, say, other countries, are counterproductive. This is an obvious fact. It has already become evident. You just asked me if another leader comes and changes something. It is not about the leader. It is not about the personality of a particular person. I had a very good relationship with, uh, say, Bush. I know that in the United States he was portrayed as some kind of a country boy who does not understand much. I assure you that this is not the case. I think he made a lot of mistakes with regard to Russia, too. I told you about 2008 and the decision in Bucharest to open the NATO's doors to, for Ukraine and so on. That happened during his presidency. He actually exercised pressure on the Europeans. But in general, on a personal human level, I had a very good relationship with him. He was no worse than any other American or Russian or European politician. I assure you, he understood what he was doing as well as others. I had such personal relationship with Trump as well. It is not about the personality of the leader. It is about the elite's mindset. If the idea of domination at any cost, based also on forceful actions, Dominates the American society, nothing will change. It will only get worse. But if, in the end, one comes to the awareness that the world has been changing due to the objective circumstances and that one should be able to adapt to them in time using the advantages that the US still has today, then perhaps something may change. Look, China's economy has become the first economy in the world in purchasing power parity. In terms of volume, it overtook the US a long time ago. The USA comes second, then India, one and a half billion people, and then Japan, with Russia in the fifth place. Russia was the first economy in Europe last year, despite all the sanctions and restrictions. Is it normal from your point of view? Sanctions, restrictions, impossibility of payments in dollars, being cut off from SWIFT services, sanctions against our ships carrying oil, sanctions against airplanes, sanctions in everything, everywhere. The largest number of sanctions in the world which are applied are applied against Russia, and we have become Europe's first economy during this time. The tools that US uses don't work. Well, one has to think about what to do. If this realization comes to the ruling elites, then yes, then the first person of the state will act in anticipation of what the voters and the people who make decisions at various levels expect from this person. Then maybe something will change.
0: You're describing two different systems. You say the leader acts in the interest of the voters, but you also say these decisions are not made by the leader, they're made by the ruling classes. You've run this country for so long, you've known all these American presidents. What are those power centers in the United States, do you think? Like, who actually makes the decisions? I don't know.
1: America is a complex country. Conservative on one hand, rapidly changing on the other. It's not easy for us to sort it all out. Who makes decisions in the elections? Is it possible to understand this when each state has its own legislation? Each state regulates itself? Someone can be excluded from elections at the state level. It is a two-stage electoral system. It is very difficult for us to understand it. Certainly, there are two parties that are dominant, the Republicans and the Democrats. And within this party system, the centers that make decisions, that prepare decisions. Then, look, why, in my opinion, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, such an erroneous, crude, completely unjustified policy of pressure was pursued against Russia? After all, this is a policy of pressure. NATO expansion, support for the separatists in the Caucasus, creation of a missile defense system. These are all elements of pressure. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Then dragging Ukraine into NATO is all about pressure, pressure, pressure. Why? I think, among other things, because excessive production capacities were created. During the confrontation with the Soviet Union, there were many centers created and specialists on the Soviet Union who could not do anything else. They convinced the political leadership that it is necessary to continue chiseling Russia, to try to break it up, to create on this territory several quasi-state entities, and to subdue them in a divided form to use their combined potential for the future struggle with China. This is a mistake, including the excessive potential of those who worked for the confrontation with the Soviet Union. It is necessary to get rid of this. There should be new, fresh forces, people who look into the future and understand what is happening in the world. Look at how Indonesia is developing. 600 million people. Where can we get away from that? Nowhere. We just have to assume that Indonesia will enter, it is already in, the club of the world's leading economies, no matter who likes it or dislikes it. Yes, we understand and are aware that in the United States, despite all the economic problems, the situation is still normal, with the economy growing decently. The GDP is growing by 2.5%, if I'm not mistaken. But if we want to ensure the future, then we need to change our approach to what is changing. As I already said, the world would nevertheless change, regardless of how the developments in Ukraine end. The world is changing. In the United States themselves, experts are writing that the United States are nonetheless gradually changing their position in the world. It is your experts who write that. I just read them. The only question is how this would happen – painfully and quickly or gently and gradually. And this is written by people who are not anti-American. They simply follow global development trends, that's it. And in order to assess them and change policies, we need people who think, look forward, can analyze and recommend certain decisions at the level of political leaders.
0: I just have to ask, you've said clearly that NATO expansion eastward is a violation of the promise you all were made in 1990. It's a threat to your country. Right before you sent troops into Ukraine, the vice president of the United States went to the Munich Security Conference and encouraged the president of Ukraine to join NATO. Do you think that was an effort to provoke you into military action?
2: I repeat
1: once again, we have repeatedly, repeatedly proposed to seek a solution to the problems that arose in Ukraine after twenty fourteen coup d'etat through peaceful means. But no one listened to us. And moreover, the Ukrainian leaders who were under the complete US control suddenly declared that they would not comply with the Minsk Agreements. They disliked everything there and continued military activity in that territory. (laughs) And in parallel, that territory was being exploited by NATO military structures under the guise of various personnel training and retraining centers. They essentially began to create bases there. That's all. Ukraine announced that the Russians were a non titular nationality while passing the laws that limit the rights of non titular nationalities in Ukraine. Ukraine, having received all these southeastern territories as a gift from the Russian people, suddenly announced that the Russians were a non titular nationality in that territory. Is that
2: normal?
1: All this put together led to the decision to end the war that neo-Nazis started in Ukraine in 2014.
0: Do Do you think Zelensky has the freedom to negotiate a settlement to this conflict?
1: I don't know the details. Of course, it's difficult for me to judge. But I believe he has, in any case, he used to have. His father fought against the fascists, Nazis, during World War II. I once talked to him about this. I said, Volodya, what are you doing? Why are you supporting neo-Nazis in Ukraine today, while your father fought against fascism? He was a frontline soldier. I will not tell you what he answered. This is a separate topic, and I think it's incorrect for me to do so. But as to the freedom of choice, why not? He came to power on the expectations of Ukrainian people that he would lead Ukraine to peace. He talked about this. It was thanks to this that he won the elections overwhelmingly. But then, when he came to power, in my opinion, he realized two things. Firstly, it is better not to clash with neo-Nazis and nationalists because they are aggressive and very active. You can expect anything from them. And secondly, the U.S.-led West supports them and will always support those who antagonize with Russia. It is beneficial and safe. So he took the relevant position, despite promising his people to end the war in Ukraine. He deceived his voters.
0: But do you think at this point, as of February 2024, he has the latitude, the freedom, to speak with you or your government directly about putting an end to this, which clearly isn't helping his country or the world? Can he do that?
2: Do you think? Well, why not?
1: He considers himself head of state. He won the elections. Although we believe in Russia that the coup d'etat is the primary source of power for everything that happened after 2014. And in this sense, even today, government is flawed. But he considers himself the president, and he is recognized by the United States, all of Europe, and practically the rest of the world in such a capacity. Why not? He can.
2: We negotiated with Ukraine in Istanbul. We agreed, he was aware of this. Moreover, the
1: negotiation group leader, Mr. Arachamiya is his last name, I believe still heads the faction of the ruling party, the party of the president in the Rada.
2: He still heads the
1: presidential faction in the Rada, the country's parliament. He still sits there. He even put his preliminary signature on the document I am telling you about. But then he publicly stated to the whole world, we were ready to sign this document, but Mr. Johnson, then the Prime Minister of Great Britain, came and dissuaded us from doing this, saying it was better to fight Russia. They would give everything needed for us to return what was lost during the clashes with Russia. And we agreed with this proposal. Look, his statement has been published, he said it publicly. Can they return to this or not?
2: The question is,
1: do they want it or not? Further on, President Ukraine issued a decree prohibiting negotiations with us. Let him cancel that decree. And that's it. We have never refused negotiations, indeed. We hear all the time, is Russia ready? Yes, we have not refused. It was them who publicly refused. Well, let him cancel his decree and enter into negotiations. We have never refused. And the fact that they obeyed the demand or persuasion of Mr. Johnson, the former Prime Minister of Great Britain, seems ridiculous and very sad to me. Because, as Mr. Arakamiya put it, we could have stopped those hostilities with war a year and a half ago already but the British persuaded us and we refused this where is Mr. Johnson now and the war continues that's a good question where do you think he is and why did he do that
2: hell knows I don't understand it
1: myself there was a general starting point for some reason Everyone had the illusion that Russia could be defeated on the battlefield because of arrogance, because of a pure heart, but not because of a great mind.
0: You've described uh, the connection between Russia and Ukraine. You've described Russia itself a couple of times as orthodox. That's central to your understanding of Russia. You've said you're orthodox. What does that mean in, for you? You're a Christian leader by your own description. So what effect does that have on you?
1: Uh, um, You know, as I already mentioned in 988, Prince Vladimir himself was baptized following the example of his grandmother, Princess Olga. And then he baptized his squad. And then, gradually, over the course of several years, he baptized all the Rus. It was a lengthy process, from pagans to Christians. It took many years. But in the end, this orthodoxy, Eastern Christianity, deeply rooted itself in the consciousness of the Russian people. When Russia expanded and absorbed other nations who profess Islam, Buddhism, and Judaism, Russia has always been very loyal to those people who profess other religions. This is her strength. This is absolutely clear. And the fact is that the main postulates, main values are very similar, not to say the same in all world religions I've just mentioned, and which are the traditional religions of the Russian Federation,
2: Russia. By the way, Russian authorities
1: were always very careful about the culture and religion of those people who came into the Russian Empire.
2: This, in my opinion, forms the basis of both security and stability of the Russian statehood. All
1: the peoples inhabiting Russia basically consider it their motherhood. If, say, people move over to you or to Europe from Latin America, an even clearer and more understandable example, people come but yet they have come to you or to European countries from their historical homeland. And people who profess different religions in Russia consider Russia their motherland. They have no other motherland. We are together. This is one big family. And our traditional values are very similar. I've just mentioned one big family, but everyone has his, her own family. And this is the basis of our society. And if we say that the motherland and the family are specifically connected with each other,
2: it
1: is indeed the case, since it is impossible to ensure a normal future for our children and our families unless we ensure a normal, sustainable future for the entire country, for the motherland. That is why patriotic sentiment is so strong in Russia.
2: No. But can, I, can I say that Patriotism.
0: the one way in which the religions are different is that Christianity is specifically a nonviolent religion. Jesus says, turn the other cheek, don't kill. How can a leader who has to kill of any country, how can a leader be a Christian? How do you reconcile that to yourself? <laughs>
2: It is
1: very easy when it comes to protecting oneself and one's family, one's homeland. We won't attack anyone. When did the developments in Ukraine start? Since the coup d'etat and the hostilities in Donbass began, that's when they started. And we're protecting our people, ourselves, our homeland, and our future. As for religion in general, you know, it's not about external manifestations. It's not about going to church every day or banging your head on the floor.
2: It is in the heart.
1: And our culture is so human-oriented. Dostoevsky, who was very well-known in the West and the genius of Russian culture, Russian literature, spoke a lot about this, about the Russian soul.
2: After all, Western
1: society is more pragmatic. Russian people think more about the eternal, about moral values. I don't know, maybe you won't agree with me, but Western culture is more pragmatic after all.
2: I'm not saying this is bad.
1: It makes it possible for today's golden billion to achieve good success in production, even in science and so on.
2: There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just
1: saying that we kind of look the same. Well, so so do beautiful. you see the
0: supernatural at work as you look out across what's happening in the world now? Do you see God at work? Do you ever think to yourself, these are forces that are not human?
2: No, to be honest, I don't think so. My opinion
1: is that the development of the world community is in accordance with the inherent laws, and those laws are what they are. It's always been this way in the history of mankind. Some nations and countries rose, became stronger and more numerous, and then left the international stage, losing the status they had accustomed to. There is probably no need for me to give examples, but we could start with the Genghis Khan and Horde-conquerors, the Golden Horde, and then end with the Roman Empire. It seems that there has never been anything like the Roman Empire in the history of mankind. Nevertheless, the potential of the barbarians gradually grew, as did their population. In general, the barbarians were getting stronger and began to develop economically, as we would say today.
2: This eventually led to the collapse of the Roman Empire and the regime imposed by the Romans.
1: However, it took five centuries for the Roman Empire to fall apart. The difference with what is happening now is that all the processes of change are happening at a much faster pace than in Roman times.
0: So when does the AI Empire start, do you think?
2: (laughs) you are
1: asking increasingly more complicated questions. To answer them, you need to be an expert in big numbers, big data and AI. Mankind is currently facing many threats. Due to the genetic researches, it is now possible to create a superhuman, a specialized human being, a genetically engineered athlete, scientist, military man. There are reports that Elon Musk has already had a chip implanted in the human brain in the USA.
2: What do you think of
1: that? Well, I think there's no stopping Elon Musk. He will do as he sees fit. Nevertheless, You need to find some common ground with him, search for ways to persuade him. I think he's a smart person, I truly believe he is. So you need to reach an agreement with him because this process needs to be formalized and subjected to certain rules. Humanity has to consider what is going to happen due to the newest development in genetics or in AI. One can make an approximate prediction of what will happen.
2: Once mankind felt an
1: existential threat coming from nuclear weapons, all nuclear nations began to come to terms with one another since they realized the negligent use of nuclear weaponry could drive humanity to extinction. It is impossible to stop research in genetics or A.I. today, just as it was impossible to stop the use of gunpowder back in the day. But as soon as we realize that the threat comes from unbridled and uncontrolled development of A.I. or genetics or any other field, the time will come to reach an international agreement on how to regulate these things.
0: I, I appreciate all the time uh, you've given us. i just got to ask you one last question, and that's about someone who's very famous in the United States, probably not here, Evan Gershkovitz, who's the Wall Street Journal reporter. He's 32, um, and he's been in prison for almost a year. Uh, this is a huge story in the United States, and I just want to ask you directly, without getting into the details of it or your version of what happened, if as a sign of your decency you would be willing to release him to us and we'll bring him back to the United
2: States. <sighs> we, have so
1: we have done so many gestures, gestures of goodwill out of decency that I think yeah, we, have we have, have run out of them. Of them. We have never seen anyone reciprocate to us in a similar manner. However, in theory, we can say that we do not rule out that we can do that
2: if our partners
1: take reciprocal
2: steps. When
1: I talk about the partners, I, first of all, refer to special services.
2: Special services
1: are in contact with one another, they are talking about the matter in question. There is no taboo to settle this issue. We are willing to solve it. But there are certain terms being discussed via special services channels. I believe an agreement can be reached.
0: So typically, I mean, this stuff has happened for, obviously, centuries. One country catches another spy within its borders. It trades it for one of its own intel guys in another country. I think what makes (coughs) it, and it's not my business, but what makes this difference is the guy's obviously not a spy. He's a kid. And maybe he was breaking your law in some way, but he's not a super spy, and everybody knows that. And he's being held hostage in exchange, which is true. With respect, it's true, and everyone knows it's true. So maybe he's in a different category... Maybe it's not fair to ask for, you know, somebody else in exchange for letting him out. Maybe it degrades Russia to do that.
2: You know,
1: you can give different interpretations to what constitutes a spy, but there are certain things provided by law. If a person gets secret information and does that in a conspiratorial manner, then this is qualified as espionage. And that is exactly what he was doing. He was receiving classified, confidential information, and he did it covertly. Maybe he did that out of carelessness or his own initiative.
2: Considering the sheer fact, this is
1: qualified as espionage. The fact has been proven, as he was caught red-handed when he was receiving this information. If it had been some far-fetched excuse, some fabrication, something not proven, it would have been a different story then. But he was caught red-handed when he was secretly getting confidential information. What is it
2: then?
0: But are you suggesting that he was working for the U.S. government or NATO, or he was just a reporter who was given material he wasn't supposed to have? Those seem like very very different things.
2: I don't know who he was working for. But I
1: would like to reiterate that getting classified information in secret is called espionage. And he was working for the US Special Services, some other agencies. I don't think he was working for Monaco, as Monaco is hardly interested in getting that information. It is up to special services to come to an agreement. Some groundwork has been laid. There are people who, in our view, are not connected with special services. Let me tell you a story about a person serving a sentence in an allied country of the U.S. That person, due to patriotic sentiments, eliminated a bandit in one of the European capitals. During the events in the Caucasus, do you know what he was doing? I don't want to say that, but I will do it anyway. He was laying our soldiers, taken prisoner, on the road and then drove his car over their heads. What kind of person is that? Can he even be called human? But there was a patriot who eliminated him in one of the European capitals. Whether he did it of his own volition or not, that is a different question.
0: But Evan, mean, that's a completely different... I mean, this is a 32-year-old He committed
1: something different
2: he's not just a journalist
1: I reiterate he's a journalist who was secretly getting confidential information yes it is different but still I'm talking about other people who are essentially controlled by the US authorities wherever they are serving a sentence There is an ongoing dialogue between the special services. This has to be resolved in a calm, responsible, and professional manner. They are keeping in touch, so let them do their work. I do not rule out that the person you refer to, Mr. Gershkovits, may return to his motherland. By the end of the day, it does not make any sense to keep him in prison in Russia. We want the US Special Services to think about how they can contribute to achieving the goals our Special Services are pursuing. We are ready to talk. Moreover, the talks are underway. And there have been many successful examples of these talks crowned with success. Probably this is going to be crowned with success as well. But we have to come to an agreement. I hope you let
0: him out. Mr. President, thank you.
1: I also want him to return to his homeland at last. I'm absolutely sincere. But let me say once again, the dialogue continues. The more public we render things of this nature, the more difficult it becomes to resolve them. Everything has to be done in calm manner. I
0: wonder if that's I wonder if that's true with the, with the war though also I mean I just want to I guess I want to ask one more question which is and maybe you don't want to say so for strategic reasons but are you worried that what's happening in Ukraine could lead to something much larger and much more horrible and how motivated are you just to call the US government and say let's come to terms?
2: I already said that we did not
1: refuse to talk we are willing to negotiate it is the western side and Ukraine is obviously a satellite state of the US it is evident I do not want you to take it as if I am looking for a strong word or an insult but we both understand what is happening
2: the financial support
1: 72 billion US dollars was provided Germany ranks second then other European countries come dozens of billions of US dollars are going to Ukraine
2: there is a huge influx of weapons
1: in this case you should tell the current Ukrainian leadership to stop and come to negotiating table rescind this absurd decree we did not refuse
0: Sure, but you already said it. I didn't think you meant it as an insult because you already said correctly. It's been reported that Ukraine was prevented from negotiating a peace settlement by the former British prime minister acting on behalf of the Biden administration. So, of course, there are satellite Big countries control small countries. That's not new. And that's why I asked about dealing directly with the Biden administration, which is making these decisions, not President Zelensky of Ukraine.
2: Well, if the
1: Zelensky administration in Ukraine refused to negotiate, I assume they did it under the instruction from Washington.
2: If Washington
1: believes it to be the wrong decision, let it abandon it. Let it find a delicate excuse so that no one is insulted. Let it come up with a way out. It was not us who made this decision. It was them. So let them go back on it. That is it. However, they made the wrong decision, and now we have to look for a way out of the situation to correct their mistakes. They did it, so let them correct it themselves. We support this.
0: So I just want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding what you're saying. I don't think that I am. I think you're saying you want a negotiated settlement to what's happening in Ukraine.
2: No... <laughs> Right. And we made it.
1: We prepared the huge document in Istanbul that was initialed by the head of the Ukrainian delegation. He affixed his signature to some of the provisions, not to all of it. He put his signature and then he himself said, we were ready to sign it and the war would have been over long ago, 18 months ago.
2: However, Prime
1: Minister Johnson came, talked us out of it, and we missed that chance. Well, you missed it, you made a mistake, let them get back to that, that is all. Why do we have to bother ourselves and correct somebody else's mistakes? I know one can say it is our mistake. It was us who intensified the situation and decided to put an end to the war that started in 2014 in Donbas. As I have already said, by means of weapons,
2: let me get back to further in history. I already told you this. We were just discussing. Let us go back to
1: 1991, when we were promised that NATO would not expand. To 2008, when the doors to NATO opened to the Declaration of State Sovereignty of Ukraine, declaring Ukraine a neutral state. Let us go back to the fact that NATO and US military bases started to appear on the territory of Ukraine, creating threats to us. Let us go back to coup d'etat in Ukraine in 2014.
2: It is pointless, though, isn't it? We may go back and
1: forth endlessly, but they stop negotiations. Is it a mistake? Yes. Correct it. We are ready. What else is needed?
0: Do you think it's too humiliating at this point for NATO to accept Russian control of what was two years ago Ukrainian territory?
2: Uh,
1: I said uh, let them think how to do it with dignity. There are options if there is a will. Up until now, there has been the uproar and screaming about inflicting a strategic defeat on Russia on the battlefield. Now they are apparently coming to realize that it is difficult to achieve, if possible at all. In my opinion, it is impossible by definition. It is never going to happen. It seems to me that now those who are in power in the West have come to realize this as well. If so, if the realization has set in, they have to think what to do next. We are ready for this dialogue. Would you
0: be willing to say, Congratulations, NATO, you won, and just keep the situation where it is now?
1: You know, it is a subject matter for the negotiations. No one is willing to conduct, or, to put it more accurately, they are willing, but do not know how to do it. I know they want it. It is not just I see it, but I know they do want it. But they are struggling to understand how to do it. They have driven the situation to the point where we are at. It is not us who have done that. It is our partners, opponents, who have done that. Well, now let them think how to reverse the situation. We're not against it. It would be funny if it were not so sad. This endless mobilization in Ukraine, the hysteria, the domestic problems, sooner or later it will result in agreement. You know, this probably sounds strange given the current situation. But the relations between the two peoples will be rebuilt anyway. It will take a lot of time, but they will heal.
2: I'll
1: give you very unusual examples. There is a combat encounter on the battlefield. Here is a specific example. Ukrainian soldiers got encircled. This is an example from real life. Our soldiers were shouting to them, there is no chance, surrender yourselves, come out and you will be alive. Suddenly the Ukrainian soldiers were screaming from there in Russian, perfect Russians saying Russians do not surrender and all of them perish. They still identify themselves as Russian. What is happening is to a certain extent an element of a civil war. Everyone in the West thinks that the Russian people have been split by hostilities forever. No they will be reunited the unity is still there why are the Ukrainian authorities dismantling the Ukrainian Orthodox Church because it brings together not only the territory it brings together our souls no one will be able to separate the soul. Shall we end here or is there anything else? No, I think that's great.
2: I assume thank you, Mr. President.